0: New York, yo, it's in New York, yo, it's in New York. And welcome to Crash Court's Autographs. For the 50th episode of Autographs, Matt welcomes back a guest you might remember from episode 8, solo rapper and founder of the rap group Thought Criminals, Michael Kill. As of today, his brand new record Human Disaster is available on Bandcamp, a record long in the making, the details of which Kill shares with Matt in this episode. Kill also discusses his other projects, including Two Weeks Notice, The Thought Criminals, and a song from his previous record The Snuggle Is Real, called Light of Day, featuring Jesse Dangerously. Experienced in beat production, he also discusses what went into producing Adam Warrock's latest record, Gifted Student. And so, from the artist's future plans to a delightful tangent on the game Skyrim, here's presenting Matt Storm and Michael Kill. And
1: welcome to another episode of Crash Courts Autographs. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon. And today we have our first returning guest. It's the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Michael Kill. Hello. Welcome back. It is good to be back. Um, I'm excited to have you on the show again. You were in the early years of shitty Android phone recordings, but <laughs> that one came out pretty okay as far as I'm concerned. Um, since then I've spoken to quite a few of your contemporaries as well as your bestie, Mr. Sulphur, yes, yes. um, and, uh, who's become a great internet friend like you to me. Um, I, I appreciate always the community that you guys have and how, um, you know, receptive you are to everything, how much you guys like to collaborate and work together. And so it's always great to have you guys, anyone from the indie rap community pretty much back on the show. Yeah. So thank, thank you for joining me. This will actually drop um, on the day that uh, Human Disaster is supposed to come out on the 21st. Yeah. So I would like to start by chatting with that about that for a bit because the last time we talked it had been it was probably a little over a year ago Mm -hmm. it had been how long had you been working on that record at that point
2: uh you know i honestly don't know for sure because there's there's stuff on the record that i i actually started in probably 2010
1: 2011 Mm -hmm. um so i
2: mean but focused working on it probably at the time when we talked i'd been working on it for three years
1: Wow. And so now it's it's a fourth year, but it's finally coming out. Um, I remember when I first met you and one of the songs you'd played live was at a show with Tribe One. And it was a whole slew of people. Adam Warrock, Shape of the Dark Lord. Like it was a whole great. Wait, was, huge that the one, uh,
2: was that the one that uh, Lewis Logic did with us?
1: Yes, yeah. yes, that's the one. And so I remember hearing your song, Martyr, because you performed it live. And I came up to you and I was like, man, I love this song. And I was like, I can't wait to hear it. What album is it on? And you're like, well, about that. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm <laughs> excited that the album with one of my favorites of yours is finally coming out. Um,
2: yeah, around that time, I actually did two, I did that song. And there was another one that I, I actually didn't originally intend to put on this album, but I ended up. it, it ended up fitting the record. But uh, there was one I did, too, that the chorus is just me singing fuck you over and over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I probably did that one at that show too. I actually, I, I originally, some of the stuff I uh, did for the record sort of started as, as thought criminals things or something like that. But over the course of the past couple years, years, um, I've been working on this record continuously and I would start something with like something in mind for it. And then I'd be like, Oh wait, this, this is totally going to fit that. And then I would just sit it aside and, yeah. uh, it would end up being like saved for this record. Cause I mean, technically there's a new thought criminal song on it. There's two new two weeks notice songs. Um, right. So the, it's kind of like a culmination of a lot of different things.
1: <laughs> and so that's actually something I want to talk to in a bit. Um, also is the two weeks notice stuff. Cause I remember when that first was coming together, but, um, a little more on human disaster. So, um, you've had a plan for this album for a while. And obviously, you know, anyone who heard, the snuggle is real. Like I remember when the snuggle is real was coming out. I was like, Oh, finally the new album. And then Marta wasn't on it. And I was like, Oh, I guess this isn't the new <laughs> album that, you know, which I happen ab- happened to absolutely love. The snuggle is real. Um, which I know we talked about the last time you're on the show too. Yeah. And I've actually fallen like there are songs. I love the record as a whole, but there are certain songs that kind of get stuck in my head more than others, depending on the day. Oh. And the one that's been lately is light of day that you do with Jesse dangerously. Yeah. Um, And I don't know that we talked about that song last time. I was wondering, could you tell me a little bit about how that song came together?
2: I originally, uh, there were only two songs on the record that I didn't produce, and those were both produced by Cecil Nick from Autocorrect, who is kind of like, um, he's one of the satellite members of No Friends, and he mixes and engineers all my records, uh, and I usually master them. Um, so, but he did two beats for that record and he sent me that beat and I was like, well, as soon as I heard it, I was like, all right, this is the song I want Jesse on. And I sent it to Jesse and I think I had some concept in mind. Um, and I don't even remember what it was now, but Jesse got the beat and he was like, I'm going to write to this tonight. And Jesse normally takes like a hundred years to do anything. <laughs> He's like tribe one in that respect. Um, <laughs> oh man, already <laughs> slinging arrows at <of> tribe one. <laughs> but well, we'll get back to it. Yeah. That. <laughs> but uh he usually takes forever, but he got me the verse really really fast and he actually uh, he'd already done most of the chorus and he had written his whole verse and uh I had originally had a different chorus in mind and I was going to do it myself and it was going to be uh kind of a more of a downbeat song and then when he sent it to me what he wrote was like really hostile (laughs) and uh (laughs) and angry and so but i loved it and uh and then i just kind of ran with it and he had no idea what i was going to do with uh, i added the parts behind his his chorus with me yelling stuff and um and with my verse uh, a lot of it's like my whole verse i can't really speak for what his verse draws from primarily, but my verse is mostly about, um, like killing this old version of myself. That's, Mm -hmm. um, kind of the whole theme of it is like killing my old self. Um, which is the whole part where I talk about describing my old car and taking my own corpse to the woods to bury it. (laughs) Um, so, but, uh, it just came together really fast, kind of like everything on that album. Um, the The thing with snuggle is real is that snuggle is actually outtakes from human disaster um, and that's sort of one of the things that made human disaster take even longer is uh whenever I decided to do snuggle, me and my guitarist Andy Went had been um, doing shows together, and I think we had already done like a <clears throat> mini Torlichsky at that point and stuff. so like we were constantly doing shows together, and I just wanted like a writing exercise for me and him. And uh, I had all these beats for Human Disaster where I would pulled a, pulled apart samples and started programming stuff, um, but I wasn't happy with how the beats sounded. And so I talked to my guitarist and I was like, "Hey, so I'm going to make like skeleton beats out of these, and then I'm going to have you come in, and we're going to do this whole record in a week." And so that's what we did. We did all of Snuggle. Snuggle was done in two weeks uh, out of wow. out of beats that were effectively like. I didn't think they were good enough for human disaster. Um, but the problem was once it came out, like, it was universally regarded as the best thing I had ever done. <laughs> like, everybody was like, this is the best thing Kills ever put out. This is amazing.
1: Um, don't you love when that happened? And that was
2: really, yeah, I mean, that was amazing. It was, it was, <laughs> it was super positive and rewarding. And I do agree. Like, I think those are, those are some of the best songs I've ever written. Um, but then it sort of like paralyzed me with human disaster where I started going back and like obsessively revising every song and stuff. And, and I was like scared to, to put the finishing stamp on it. I mean, effectively the record's probably been done. Um, it's been done as far as writing goes since last August, maybe whatever the last time I went down to Columbia and recorded in Cecil next studio. Um, but, like, we were constantly adding stuff to the instrumentals and changing things. And that's not really how I normally work. Normally I'm actually, like, kind of speed focused. I, I like doing things really fast and dirty. My whole process is very punk rock and, and meat and potatoes in a lot of ways. Um, But with this stuff, I really, like, I really just hunkered down over it and didn't want to. Led up until I felt like everything was exactly how I wanted it. So, but I, in the past, we basically started finalizing the record like uh, permanently, like a month and a half ago, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I brought the band in and they added a bunch of parts. My guitarist, Andy, and my keyboardist, Jessamine Thursday. Um, him and her both added little things to different specific songs. And we had some things we revised with uh, some of the beats with the arrangements just to, um, like, suit some of the rappers' voices that were different than how I rap, I
1: guess. Um, 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 uh, One thing I wanted to ask is, do you find yourself having trouble letting go of an album? Like, I know you said with Snuggle is Real, you kind of just... You know, it was a shotgun release, pretty much, record and release. But, like, for something like this, like, do you find yourself wanting to go, oh, just a little more? Or, oh, I just want to change one more thing? Like, are you having trouble kind of, did you have trouble kind of saying goodbye to the process on this and letting it be? On
2: on Human Disaster, yes. And there's been one other album I was ever like that about. And that was um, an album that isn't even in print anymore. It was my first solo record I ever put out called This Is Not an Entrance. Um, I, I worked on it for about five years too, and it, it came out in like 2007, 2008, probably. Oh, wow. Um, but I started working on it in like 2003. The, actually, that album is the one that has the original song, Walking Dead, that I mm-hmm. uh, based my whole album I did The Walking Dead on a couple of years ago. Um, but normally, no. Normally, actually, I, Um, because of my whole, the way my writing process is, I do everything really fast. And if something isn't working for me, I don't, I don't normally spend a lot of time trying to fix it. If it's like, if it doesn't come out inspired in a really direct way, Mm -hmm. then I just, I usually i just throw it away. Um, and I guess really with this album, I, I, I was very, all of the lyrics were like that, um all the all the lyrics I I did in this very um I did it in the same way I always write lyrics which is is mostly like stream of consciousness stuff that mm-hmm. I do very little editing on um but the music on this one I I just spent forever messing around with it and tweaking things but that's not not normally how it is for me at all normally I I'm, I'm actually uh I'm it's why I'm able to put out so much music uh, cause I probably put out like six releases a year. If you count the production I do for other people and stuff. Sure. Um, and the, the little EPs I put out here and there.
1: So, uh, I mean, nobody's really a stranger if they follow you on the social media to, um, how, uh, you know, how reactionary you are and sometimes how you kind of just think of a thing and want to go do it. And I guess the best example, going back to what we mentioned earlier with our, our good mutual friend, Mr. Tribe One and your two weeks notice uh, band and project. So for those who might not know what it is, give a little background on how that came to be. Because I remember watching that like pretty much become something on social media and it was very impressive, but also I was like, "Are they really going to do that?" Yeah. So uh,
2: that, that album, um, uh, a lot of people don't know, I guess, at this point, um, especially because Tribe One's thing for a while was like he was full time rap guy, but yeah. um, he he became um, basically a teacher. Um, I, I guess I mean, basically he he got hired to be a teacher right at the time when we did two weeks notice.
0: Mm-hmm. So
2: we had talked about wanting to do a tour for the summer. He kept having stuff come up that kept delaying us booking the tour. And I eventually I emailed him and I was like, we're running out of time. What are we going to do? And he was like, I don't know. Cause I really want to get this tour together this summer. We need to do that. And I was like, well, let's do it. And then it was actually totally his idea. He was like, mm-hmm. he was like, let's, Record an album in a week, and do like a full record, and we'll go. We'll tour it ame- immediately afterwards, and just go wherever we can can go, whether it's doing house shows or regular venues or whatever we do. And uh, I was, I was honestly like, "Are you sure you can do that?" Because like he takes a really long time to write. That when we <laughs> recorded his, um, we recorded his uh, crisis on Intimate Earths record mm-hmm. um he he's at one point spent literally eight hours in my kitchen writing eight lines <laughs> for one song uh wow you know and he had he had written the whole album before he got he had written the whole crisis on intimate earth's ep which is only six songs
0: mm-hmm. he had
2: written it all and he had spent months on those songs before he ever came over to record it Right in in my studio. And he. uh, So having seen that, I was like, are you sure that's a thing we should commit to? And uh, he was like, yeah, I think we can do it. And so basically I would I would uh, get up at like nine in the morning and make beats until twelve or one. And then he would get on and we would write for four or five hours together on Google Hangouts in like a Word document. Um, cause if you do like Google Docs, you can see what each other are writing. Mm-hmm. So we would, uh, we would both wear headphones and listen to the beat in headphones and we would be able to watch each other writing. And, you know, once one of us had a concept, we could easily kind of keep it thematically cohesive by being able to see what each other are writing. Sometimes one of us would go into the other's verse and be like, why don't you try this? Um, so, and then, you know, we would, we would do that until, like about five o'clock and then he would get off from like five till nine. I would work on beats again for four hours and then around nine or so we would get back on and then we would write again until we went to bed. And we did that every day with me literally probably working on the record 20 hours a day. Um We did that every day for, for seven days. Wow. And at the end of it, we had 10 songs that I think are among the best music I've ever done. Um, and, and I definitely, I I don't know, it probably sounds conceited, but I think it's my favorite (laughs) stuff
1: Niles has ever done too. And would you say that, uh, that. Would you say that doing that process made you a better or more focused musician and writer? Do you think that it helped? Would you want to do it again like that? Or do you think that maybe just once that kind of an experience is enough?
2: Oh no, we're we're gonna do the plan has been since we did that first one, that
1: two weeks notice
2: isn't just a it's not a project. Two weeks notice is a mm-hmm. group, the same way the Thought mm-hmm. Criminals is a group. And uh we plan to do a, a two weeks notice album every year and hopefully a tour to go with it every time as long as we can make it work with uh with our own touring schedules and our like mm-hmm. normal shitty careers <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah um, you know day jobs they're things yeah i
2: mean he was he was basically like a special needs educator who was just like uh mm-hmm. in class assistant in the past but he's actually a he's going to be a math teacher starting in august so
1: uh, cool. That sounds like another nerdcore rapper I know, was not Oh no, he was an English teacher. Yeah, Megaran was, was an English teacher. He was a English then, teacher. And
2: then it, it sort of was in reverse where uh, <laughs> Megaran quit teaching to rap.
1: To rap. Niles is yeah.
2: quitting rapping, but yeah, uh, he's going in reverse where he's getting the teaching job after
1: rapping. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm shocked that Niles hasn't blocked me everywhere yet <laughs> because I constantly ask him when I'm getting new music because <laughs> Crisis on in, Intimate Earth. Like, I, first of all. And I know you know this because you're a fan of it too, but Malibu Shark Attack, that record that he did. Yeah. And then, an Intimate Earth, like, like those two coming out so close together, and I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm going to get so much more Tribe One stuff. No, I, the thing was, I mean, the, the Malibu Shark <laughs> Attack's
2: record was years in the works.
1: Yeah, sure, of course. Um, it's just I had no real clue until after the fact how long he had been working on it and all that, you know? Yeah,
2: it's funny because, like, the the live version of Malibu Shark Attack is basically Niles with me and my guitarist, Andy. It's like yeah. my band in America. It is my band yep, with him, but it's, but it's this guy from his Rockies music or whatever that we play. Yeah, uh, But it's, it's interesting. It's given me like an, an extra appreciation for those songs. I think just sure. playing them all the time on tour. Even whenever we just tour with me and Niles, we do a lot of Malibu Shark Attack stuff, and I'll bring my acoustic guitar, and just,
1: I just distort it for the
2: Malibu Shark Attack songs.
1: There you go. So um, so you play guitar. What other instruments do you play besides guitar, is that the only one? Uh,
2: guitar, bass, drums, keys. Um, I can do a little bit of stuff on the turntables.
1: So you're a one-man band, essentially.
2: Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, you know, like, um, on the records, if you hear a guitar and you're like, wow, that playing is really good. Then, you know, it's Andy.
1: Um, (laughs) You don't want to take credit for that. I don't, I'm
2: not a lead guitarist. I'm very much, I'm very much inspired by groups like John Spencer, blues explosion. And I'm back. And I like a lot of real, a lot of punk stuff and a lot of like folk music. I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a technically good guitarist and I can't read sheet music or anything like that. I, I, taught myself to play instruments i basically when i started out when i was in like high school um i like had a four track cassette recorder giving away my age (laughs) Um, but i had this four track tape deck because it was before the days of just being able to download reaper (laughs) um and i wanted to make songs so you know I got a friend to leave his drum set over and uh, borrowed somebody's bass guitar and I would just play every instrument and make these little folk rock records, I guess. And a lot of like weird, like folk rap stuff, but it was, Mm -hmm. but I was singing a lot of it back then. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I would do that. And so I just kind of taught myself to play all the instruments because I, I didn't want to have to rely on anybody and it was impossible to have people just come over on a whim cause you wanted to write a song. Sure. So it definitely, for me, it, it was just like, I learned to, I learned to play instruments cause I was too lazy to dig for samples. <laughs> and, uh, and I didn't want to have to rely on anybody else to help me make records if I didn't need to. So,
1: well, you get a sense of that. I mean, from the work that you do and, you know, the fact that, you know, when you're live, you pl- you'll play guitar or you'll, you know, th- and I think that kind of necessity to do that is is very helpful. I mean, you're, you're, some of my favorite records by other rappers are also things that you've produced as well. So, you know, it, it's, uh, it's definitely key and noticeable both in your work and in the work you work on with others. Yeah,
2: I, I appreciate that. And uh, I think, you know, it, it definitely helps me. I, I have like a definite like songwriter sense and I know that helps me. There's definitely um uh I don't know, there's something that makes it more fun for me that I can I can just like I can just sit down and make a beat in in twenty minutes and then I can have a song done in an hour. So it's kinda like that's part of the fun for me is is just making something from nothing. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> Sure. Um, I figure I'll shift the uh, subject a little bit because it's been a while since I've chatted with you on Steam, but I know you're a big gamer yeah. like I am as well. Um, me, me, me. I think it was my interview with Sulfur where he threw down some some threats of Smash Brothers violence against you and <laughs> Niles and some other. Yeah, if he was threatening
2: uh, Smash Brothers violence, I can promise that wasn't fulfilled. But, <laughs> but I mean, maybe against Niles because Niles is truly, truly terrible at Smash Brothers. But, um, I want, I
1: was curious what you've been thinking of some of the E3 news, um, some new stuff coming out. Like, uh, I don't know if you're a Sony fan, but the last guardian, which is by the same people who made Chaz, the Colossus and Ico is finally coming out. Yeah. Supposedly.
2: I have not, I actually haven't owned a Sony product since PlayStation two and it, and it's, it's because my PlayStation two died, um, like six months into me owning it. And then they wanted me to pay to have it repaired and, uh, so I just like I was just like no and I just got <laughs> I just got a GameCube and then I never played PlayStation 2 again. Um so I sort of I've never owned a Sony thing. I mostly play games um lately I I mean all the Wii U stuff that's like sure. There's tons of Wii U stuff that's great and I I play that stuff on console, but mostly I play everything on PC at this point.
1: That's what I had figured. Yeah. Um, did you see the trailer for the new Legend of Zelda I'd, that, I'd, that came out yesterday? I
2: did, and it looks it looks amazing.
1: Yeah, um, it's. I feel like Nintendo's trying to make it more like Skyrim a little bit. Like not not completely, but you can tell that the 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 open world gaming worlds of like Fallout and 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 Witcher and Skyrim have definitely influenced this new Zelda. I think. Yeah, and it's
2: a great. Uh, I think it's a great direction for that franchise to take because they have such a fully realized world. And that's like, that's one of the things that makes the Bethesda games so good is they have this fully realized world with its own lore and you can find little books around and stuff like that. Like having that with a, a, an official Zelda game that is securely tied to that, the lore of that world is going to be like amazing. It's such a natural move for them. And I think to a degree you could kind of see it moving that way even with, um, I don't know why I'm blanking on the name now. It's the one they just recently put out again in HD, but the one they put out on GameCube, like where it was the first, like, really realistic Zelda. I I think you kind of saw it was going to go that way. Yeah. At that point. It just wasn't there yet.
1: Oh, you're thinking of uh, Twilight Princess, I think. Uh Yeah. yeah, It's funny, though, because as much as I'm excited about that Zelda, like, um Link Between Worlds, which came out for the 3DS a year or two ago, like, that might be my favorite non, like, fully realized 3D Zelda game. Yeah. Because it was just so, it was just so good, and it was based on the model of Link, Link to the Past, which is also one of my favorites. And so, like, in a fully orchestrated soundtrack, It it was kind of a spiritual sequel to Link to the Past, and so, like... You know, it was kind of nice to have that old school kind of Zelda feel, even though I like the three D ones as well.
2: Yeah, I uh I really liked I think you know, like I love Wind Waker and I and like yeah. a lot of people didn't. I remember even at the time that was before the days of internet outrage, but like <laughs> the, everybody was mad when Wind Waker came out. I remember that sure. being like a thing, everybody was pissed. Like they turned Zelda into a cartoon, but uh I I love the art design of that. I like really stylized things in general. Yeah. I think that is that is one of the things, though, that I like about the new one is it looks like – it looks realistic, but it has the same vibe. Um, More than Zelda Skyrim, I would call it like Zelda Oblivion.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah, I could see that. Oblivion
2: actually had that – it still had an element of a fantasy vibe that Skyrim, to me, totally lacks.
1: Yeah, Skyrim kind of was too too real. Yeah, exactly. You know? That's
2: why I'm not excited about um the idea of a remastered Skyrim.
1: When uh, like Me I
2: read earlier like it's going to be free for PC users and I use it on PC and not sure. the only thing I thought was like great another way for them to break all my fucking mods. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. So, no, exactly. It's like I originally got Skyrim on the Xbox 360. Mm-hmm. And then when it was on sale for like 10 bucks on Steam, one of my best friends had heard me bitching about how I've never used any of the mods. And so she bought it for me and sent it to me. I, and then I fell into a deep well of downloading mods. Oh and, yeah. And I, playing that game again. I have modded and, that
2: game till it crashes so many times.
1: <laughs> same. And it's like, and then you have to figure out which mod crashed it because you have so many mods on yeah, it. Yeah.
2: And I actually, I bought it. Um, I, I, my, whenever I got this job I have now, um, I, I don't remember what I, where I got the influx. Oh, I did, I did some like music commission work and I took all the money that I made, um, for this thing. Somebody hired me to do, um, uh, for a, a video game thing. And I, I put all the money toward building a, a gaming computer for my wife. Oh nice. Cause she, she actually games way more than me. Um, at this point, probably. Um, so I, I built her one and then, uh, I got her Skyrim like I bought it right off the bat just because she she's beaten Skyrim so many times (laughs) all all the way through with different playthroughs. So I I was like, well, you know, you've got to play Wormstooth and all these like (laughs) mods where people have built full extra islands and stuff like and so she's been digging that so far.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, I think the game that sucked me in the most and that i played the most hours of were the mass effect series just because i wanted to see every ending and every option and like i played as fem shep and male shep and yeah. i wanted to see the different romances and you know it, with skyrim skyrim with skyrim when i go back to it on the pc now like i'll boot it up and i'll see that i have 13 quests and i'm not sure where i am in the story and i'll not know what to do. And I'll be like, well, this is like real life and I have too many responsibilities. I can't do it and close it. You know, yeah, I get overwhelmed
2: with oblivion. I beat oblivion over and over again. Um, the only reason I ever bought an Xbox 360 was so I could play oblivion. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and honestly, I like oblivion better than Skyrim, which I don't think is a very popular opinion. Um, but one of the reasons is like the score is so good. And I, yeah, I like I don't like Skyrim's countryside like oblivion had a a countryside that I found much more aesthetically pleasing to wander (laughs) through. And uh, the score was really interesting. I I actually have a playlist of just um, Jeremy Sewell's score for oblivion and the more like downbeat songs from Skyrim and that's, Pretty much like what I sleep to every night. Like, Nice. The, I don't know if you ever heard this story about how he did the score, but he didn't actually write the score based on the game. Whenever he did the music for Morrowind, he did that. And uh, when he did Skyrim, he did that. But when he wrote the music for Oblivion, he had actually gotten in a really bad car accident, and he was in a coma for like two weeks or something. Oh, gee. And when he woke up, he wrote the score to sound like the music he heard in his head while he was in a coma. So it's wow. like, if you know that when you listen to that music and how ethereal it is, I don't know, it kind of makes it cooler. <laughs> yeah, sure.
1: Well, I found as like doing music uh, reviewing and album reviews as long as I have, there are often times where we won't pull, you can't find possibly every bit of information on every album that's ever been made. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like after we hear an album, we hear a cool story about how certain things were written and then you go oh, well, that actually changes your perspective on the music. And it's true. I find, especially like getting more personally connected to you and Niles Mm. and Schaefer and like all of these artists whose music I loved even before that, Mm. it, it adds a new perspective to a lot of the stuff. Like the fact that when I have a bad day and I listen to some of your more depressing songs like it helps me cope because I know you and I know that you're writing these things from a similar place because you were going through some shit you yeah know?
2: yeah and that's definitely like to my mind that has always been like why I'm supposed to do this sort of thing it's like my idea of like what I want to accomplish with my music is basically being for somebody else like what Elliot Smith's music was for me sure <laughs> or is for me I guess yeah sure sure, <laughs> although he's not making any new music, obviously, but
1: obviously yeah. um uh so let's talk a little bit well, I figure you know we've tortured some of the listeners who came here to hear you talk about music enough, <laughs> with some video game talk, and we can come back to it, yeah, yeah. but um uh now that you've got human disaster pretty much done, it'll be out as. The listeners are listening to this podcast um what's the next step like what do you want to do next do you want to hit the road and try and do some touring are you going to start working on another record
2: the only thing i'm i know that we plan to do a two weeks notice album and tour and i know our plan is to do the like a west coast run for that um because mm-hmm. we've never done that i mean niles is toured the west coast obviously he's toured with mc chris and and stuff. So he's on the west coast, but I've never really played on the west coast. And I do have a pretty good contingent of fans out there, I think. Mm-hmm. So and some friends out there. Um, so I think that's like the next big thing. I have like a I'm doing a show in Brooklyn with um, Dual Core and Shaper the Dark Lord on the 25th. I want to say, or is it the 24th? I can't remember, but. If you go to my website, it says there
1: for sure. So, and we're talking June. Yeah, uh, yeah.
2: So it'll be like a week after the record comes out. Oh, nice. Or not well, even a week, um, a few days after the record comes out.
1: Sweet. <laughs> well, if I'm around, if the 24th, I'm going to be somewhere. But if it's in fact the 25th, and I will be there, and I'll get to actually see you in person. Nice, which would be cool. But yeah, uh, um,
2: we're also working on a Thought Criminals record, and they're. Sweet. I don't know if it will tour. Um, exactly or what um, and that's with my live band and with Sulphur and then uh, we also have a, a project which as so far is only titled Super Duper Group um, <laughs> but it's it's me Tribe One, Dulcor, Kaisa Salse who's a rapper from Charlotte and Sulphur wow. and we've already got I think six songs done for that we just haven't nice. recorded any of it yet but it's all written um, that's awesome so that's a thing we've kind of held close to the chest for a really long time but i'm just mentioning it in the interview so that hopefully we'll finally release it
1: <laughs> <laughs> trying to get that motivation done.
2: yeah well it's just been really hard because we're all traveling and so. i started this uh new job in february so it's kind of throwing all of us into disarray
1: sure yeah uh you know, I think that it's cool that that you work with so many other musicians to create these projects and and releases that just it's it's other ways to get music and get into other artists. Like most of the time, at least specifically in indie rap and nerdcore, the way I've gotten into someone else is through someone's record. Like you know, the first time I heard most of you guys was on either F- MC, MC Frontalot or Schaefer's records yeah. because they were the two that I first started listening to, yeah. and then I would hear these other other folks and I'd be like. Oh, what is this? Oh, this is awesome. And then you go, you do that Spotify thing where you click the, you know, the hyperlink of the person's name and then you see all of their music and you're like, oh, well, now I got to go check that out.
2: Yeah. That's what I've always done too, like since the nineties and I would get obsessed with, um, rap groups and then start looking at the different people they collaborate with. And, you know, you'd see like somebody played bass on somebody's record on one song and then you go find out right. they have a band and go buy that record.
1: I love that kind of stuff. Sure, um, let's see. So, uh, with two weeks' notice, and you're planning on touring that again. Is that what was the? So the initial inspiration, as you were saying, is you wanted to cram this tour into. Uh, us, you know, uh, and the album making in too short period of time. The name of the group, two weeks notice, is that just pretty much born out of the amount of time that you guys were trying to get everything together to get and for the length of the tour. Kind
2: of, um, you know, like people when we first announced the name of the record, lots of people were like, "Does this mean they're quitting?" And, <laughs> oh, sure. And I, I think in both of our minds there was a moment where we we're like, "We could just stop after this," uh, but uh, but that's not what we did. You know, um, so I I do know the only thing I plan on doing for a while after after Human Disaster comes out is like group projects, yeah. kind of like I feel like Human Disaster is like my last big statement. Is Michael killed the solo guy? Yeah. So there'll still be like two weeks notice and Thought Criminals albums and other different group projects, but I don't know when I will be doing another like full-on solo michael kill record like this i do plan on doing a record with my band that will be like it won't just be rap though it'll be kind of i don't know so it's probably going to be like closer to a folk punk record to be honest with you but
1: nice that's awesome that's really cool does that does your band have a name um that you're going to use for, for that kind of a record? Or... No,
2: not necessarily,
1: not yet. Um, we we
2: actually have a punk band project that we started, um, but since I moved away, it's been really hard to rehearse it and stuff. We, sure. we have like six songs for it, and we were planning on recording an EP in Cecil Nick's studio, but then because we kind of got like sidetracked by my move, we haven't been able to do that. But we have a group called the Glad Your are Dead's, Um, Oh
1: yeah, and there's
2: like I think there's one song on Bandcamp, but it was just like a demo. So that we basically wanted to put one song up, so that when we emailed somebody like we want to play this show, we would like have a link of what we sound like. Sure, of course. Um, But yeah, it's kind of it's kind of like we only have six songs, so it's hard to say like what what direction that stuff would fully go. But a lot of that stuff was kind of like. Dinosaur Jr. was, or Sebado, yeah, or, sure. mm-hmm. um, or Heat Miser, Like, they're kind of like, it was definitely kind of like 90s, like 90s version of folk punk.
1: <laughs> yeah, totally. You
2: know, not exactly grunge stuff at all, but it was definitely punk and folk inspired music. Yeah. Um, but that stuff was a lot harder for me to write lyrics for ironically, because you say less, so you have to think more about each word.
1: Sure. I guess, you know, sometimes sometimes when you're cramming a ton of language into a small period of time, you can kind of just throw out what works, and then, you know... Well,
2: you know, with rapping, it's like... Rapping's like drumming. Um, And one (laughs) of the things that I think is interesting about me and Tribe One working together when we do the Two Weeks Notice stuff is um, the thing I've said for a while is is Tribe One raps like a technical metal drummer, and I rap like a jazz drummer. Like nice. everything I do is between the notes, and I do a lot of really weird stuff with my cadence. Whereas um, Tribe One is very like on the one. He's always very staccato, um, and I think that dynamic makes what we do more interesting. Because I think we're both sure. Again, it sounds really conceited to say it, but I think we're both like way above average rappers, but because our approach is so different, it, when it comes together, it makes something more interesting than necessarily it is when we're separate totally.
1: Well, so you don't sound super conceited. I will also agree that you are above average rappers. <laughs> well, thank and that, you. Um, that I, you know, uh, and uh, actually to shift gears a little bit, I wanted to talk about some production work that you've done because the last time you were on the show, you teased a project you were working on with Adam Warrock that you couldn't quite talk about yet. Yeah. And since then it has come out. Um, and so when did that kind of collaboration start for to work on that that record with with Adam?
2: Uh there was a it was something we talked about for a really long time. There was a dozen different albums we had planned on doing and then they didn't happen. Um, right. we had talked about a record that was going to be the way we originally came up with No Friends, which is the name of our rap crew, was it was going to be an acoustic project that I was going to produce all the music for, and me and him were going to share all the vocal duties. Um, and, and we had done the mixtapes. We had done Brown Coats, sure. and we had done the Slytherin House mixtape. Um, and we had – now it's like uh, – now it seems like it would have been a better idea to actually do it now because there's the TV <laughs> show based on it. But we had discussed doing a an album based on Preacher, the comic book. Sure. Um, but that didn't happen. We had there was actually plans at one point for a, a sequel to his original album War for Infinity. We were going to do um an album based on Crisis on Infinite Earths that mm-hmm. would end with him dying. Um, oh, wow. And we were going to do spinoff albums that would have been like a Trap 1 spinoff and a Thought spin spinoff that would have all been like parts of the story. And we, I mean, we had, we had details down on that project to the point it would have been, we had an idea for like album art that would have fit together as panels of the story and, and stuff like that. And none of that ever happened. So we kept planning all these records and then, you know, life got in the way. We did other stuff. Um, and then it just came to a point where it was like, uh, he hit me up and he was like, uh, he, he was just like, it's just hit me. We've never done a record that we actually make money on together. <laughs> <laughs> Cause we had done, uh, I mean, two of our, both of our most popular releases ever was Browncoats and Slytherin. Yeah. So when we did those, obviously, you know, nobody was paying us and we were just doing that for free because we liked those things. Sure. Um, so they were really popular, but since we didn't accept, we didn't even accept donations on those. Um, oh, wow. So there was no, there was no, uh, monetary payoff. It, was, it didn't make it any easier to pay my bills when Nathan Fillion tweeted about <laughs> it and blew it up, you know, like. Did he actually
1: tweet about it? I missed Yeah, that. he did.
2: It crashed, it crashed Adam Warrock's website for like two days.
1: <laughs> wow, that's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, he never messaged us directly or anything. And I tweeted yeah. at him like thank you and he never said anything to me. And I'm you know, I'm sure he gets tons of people
1: Oh, I'm sure, all yeah all the
2: time. But but he did post about it. I think his words were like, This is sofa king good. And then it was a uh, link to a link to the, the mixtape. No. Um so we had we had done all these things that were big, but we had never done anything together that was like a proper album. So we uh, we just started working on it, and that led up to the Grumpy Old Mentor we did, um,
1: yeah. which was, the I think, the biggest tour me and I ever did together. It was like two weeks. and uh, it also might have had some of my favorite um, promotional artwork, because I believe that was the one where you were drawn as, um, <laughs> uh, what's the two guys from The Muppets? Statler and Waldorf. Uh, Wa- Statler and Waldorf, yeah, yeah which well, I thought was so perfect.
2: We've had the cover art for a record call that we're going to do eventually called grumpy old men. That'll Uh, be like a collaborative record with me and him just talking about all the stuff we hate.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. Um, I forgot who it was. It might've been sulfur who told me that sometimes you and Adam Warrock swap personalities (laughs) behind the mic as far as on the, on the albums, like on the albums you tend to write more depressing and emotional stuff and he's very happy go lucky and high energy. And sometimes off the record, you guys swap them. Oh, yeah.
2: That's ad, absolutely true. Uh, <laughs> his personality is much more like my music, and my personality is more like his music, um, which is kind of funny. I don't think most people would expect that. And that's no. definitely not um, probably what either one of our public personas are from our, our like live shows.
1: But Sure. <laughs> Yeah. No, I mean, I've I've had long chats with uh, with Adam and it's always, he's always very reserved and kind of down to earth and, you know, very, very, very cool guy, but, you know, kind of not super as high energy as he is when he's on stage. And it's like yeah. watching that transformation is pretty neat. I saw him at Geek Week this year, which I'd never been to Geek Week before, which was a crime, but he was performing and a friend of mine was hosting the karaoke. And so nice. I went and I saw him perform and it was good to see him perform again cuz uh you know he he's been kind of quiet out on the music front lately so it was cool to see him live and find out he's still working on stuff but
2: yeah i but, mean we're the the next th- he i i can't really say too much about what he's doing but we are working on a record that will be a full length that i'm producing for him so cool there is that's music awesome. down the road for him uh, that's awesome he did
1: so much yeah. for so long, long you know I mean, yeah, well, I think that's part of it is probably anyone else had taken this kind of a break. No one would have said anything, but because he's, he does like, there's a month where, you know, there's a day where he does 24 songs in a day and, you know, there's like, you know, weeks where he releases a song every day. And so like he does all, has all of these releases, especially on YouTube for so long. It's like after like a week, someone's going to go, something happened to Adam, what's going on? Well, you know, know,
2: I think uh, a big thing with Gifted Student, um, and I kind of just totally dragged this conversation away from the actual <laughs> yeah, process. That's cool. It's fine. Um, but part of the thing we get to student is that I didn't, um, I didn't like a lot of what he was doing at the time. Um, you know, he was doing a lot of the pop culture songs yeah. and TV shows, songs and stuff like that. And that stuff's cool or whatever. But whenever I got into him, um, that wasn't really what I was listening for. Sure. And, uh, when we started working on the record, a big thing we gave to the student was I was just like, I get the right to veto a song. Like if you, if you bring (laughs) stuff to me and I'm like, I'm not with this, uh, like it doesn't go on the record. And, and like, he was cool with that. He wanted it to be something we both liked. And I, I wanted more like personal material from him. I wanted stuff that, um, I don't know. It was more like what, what got me into him to begin with. And I think he, totally delivered on that i think like my very favorite adam warrock album is uh war for infinity i mean that record sure he he is one of my very best friends and uh, that record is one of the reasons um it's because when i listened to it i was like like here is somebody who's also a nerd artist like me but they like they get it it's not just like rapping about Pokemon." <laughs> this is like good rap music with a really cool narrative that's really well produced and well delivered. And uh so I think like that I think War for Infinity and Gift the Student are like his two best records. Um and I I think the new record I hope people will be will think the same thing about, so
1: cool. Yeah, I I often I love I mean, obviously, I'm a fan of Nerdcore. I've interviewed a good chunk of you guys just for this show. And so it's no secret that I like Nerdcore and I like indie rap. Yeah, yeah. But I think I tend to gravitate more towards the emotional stuff. I mean, it's what brought me into your stuff. The fact that I think the first song of yours I ever heard was someone shared uh, uh, Moon or the Moon. Yeah, yeah. Which it's like I heard, you know, and of course, we all love the DuckTales video game because, <laughs> yeah. you know who who doesn't yeah. and when i heard that i went what is this is crazy and but <laughs> because it was a nerdy track but then what you're rapping about is really humble and it's like about your life and people looking out for you and you know supporting you and so it was like this kind of collision of emotional and nerdy and i really you know that's but to me that's that what is, i tend to grab to most.
2: that is that is nerd chord its best
1: you know i think um i can
2: see the vinyl of random's new album like from where i'm sitting and i think that's that record is like his best record to this point, And that's because it's like a whole album of the best parts of forever Famicom where it's like really good rap beats, but he's also talking about some really real shit. Yeah. You know, like episode three is off of forever. Famicom was like one of my favorite songs, like definitely one of my very favorite nerdcore songs ever. Sure. And I think it's, uh, I think it's kind of a thing. I think Mega Ran is also like, a lot of the people who are the best nerdcore people, um, in my opinion, are people who kind of got like pulled into it because they just happened to be nerds who yeah. made rap music, and they and then nerdcore found them. And, like yeah. that's kind of what happened for Thought Criminals, and I think that's what happened to Adam Warrock. He didn't really know what nerdcore was until he was being called it, um, and. You know, to a degree, I, I mean, even though Frontalot created it. I feel like even with Frontalot,
1: it's like he was just making rap. He was and just then someone said you're you're a nerdcore. Yeah, so, or everything.
2: You know, he was like he knew people were othering what he did, but he found a way to like embrace that and make it. Yeah, like it, it make it his thing in a badge of honor. Um. Yeah. So I think I think the best people doing it are a lot of people who started out just writing like rap music they wanted to hear and then. Then they found out there was this whole scene of people who wanted to hear that kind of stuff.
1: <laughs> sure. Yeah. A your, your song you did actually with Front on the Snuggle is Real, um, Challenge Your Audience, Yeah, um, has probably one of my favorite jokes of yours on a record ever, which is you com- complaining about how when you speak openly about your political views, nobody cares. But the one time you mentioned – that Guile has the same tattoo on both arms, people lose it. And it's like, it's just so emblematic. Of, <laughs> and
2: it's totally actually true. That's a real thing. Oh, is that really a thing Yeah, that I posted that on my music, on my music page on Facebook and I lost like 20 likes <laughs> because i made fun of the fact Guile had the same tattoo on both his arms and people were sending me messages like, fuck you, I'll never listen to you again and stuff. But, you know, the whole time, like, the Ferguson riots were going on, I'm, like, posting live yeah. streams and, like, fuck the cops. And, like, nobody gets mad.
1: They're just nobody like, yeah.
2: you know, they, like, even the people who disagree with me, they don't care.
1: But yeah. don't
2: make fun of Guile's tattoos, <laughs> apparently.
1: <laughs> well, it's, it's something indicative of what's the worst of the internet culture. Like, I feel like, like I would never have this show if it weren't for our modern internet culture, but also, like, stuff like that where people get so heated about, the dumbest things. And then when we try and speak up about, you know, equal rights and, you know, trying to stop catcalling and trying to stand up for those, you know, and just, you know, ending racism and sexism and, and, and everything. And people are like, you know, don't care. It's, it's, it's just indicative of what's wrong with parts of nerd culture. It's well, like, I, you know, I
2: think it's, it's been this flow of things since the nineties, you know, like, yeah. um, it's weird. Cause our generation, um, I'm saying I'm like, I assume you're my age.
1: I'm in my, I'm almost in my mid thirties. I'll be 33 yeah. in October. I'm 35. So, okay. So um, yeah, we're
2: close. You know, the thing in the nineties was to not give a shit. And, yep. um, ironic detachment, probably because most of our heroes were on heroin. Um, <laughs> and, and so like, uh, the problem is that we got the internet in 2000, right as we were not being relevant as the the youth culture, but we grabbed that first because we grew up yeah. on the internet first. Um, so I think, I think the 90s, in a weird way, established the internet's personality as this apathetic place where there's nothing less cool than caring. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing less cool than giving a shit. Like, <laughs> the coolest thing you can be, uh, you know, if you're, I, I don't know. Like the, the epitome of the internet to me is B on on 4chan, is like yeah, just this like uh, totally nillest, emotionless thing, just doing it for the laughs. Um, yeah. And I mean that's not totally what B is, uh, but you know distilled to what it became. I haven't been there in years, but yeah, whenever I used to visit it a lot, like ten years ago, that's definitely what it was. Um, so I I don't know. I think, I think sort of to a degree, uh, uh, like our generation is who's actually to blame for how the internet (laughs) has wound up and the aesthetic of the internet. Um, and it, and you know, I think it's bled into every part of American life. It's definitely assisted in like, it's why stuff like the tea party happens and
1: Donald
2: Trump happens is you have, This utter backlash against like giving a shit about anybody but yourself. Yeah. And, and just, that's just how it is. Uh, so I I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing.
1: I mean, also the internet's kind of educated me on people like, you know, you have friends and family that like when you're together, usually. Usually with, like, friends you only see once in a while and family, they put their best face forward and, like, there aren't a lot of arguments, although depending on the family, of course. But, you know, with the Internet, you can find out that your brother's friend, who you only saw once a year, is actually, a you know, a raging Republican who hates gay people. And you had no way of knowing because he would have never said that to you, but it's on his Facebook page. Yeah, you know? well,
2: I think it's interesting. A lot of people think that that's bad to a degree. I, oh, it's not. I think it's yeah. good. Uh, like, you know, um, like w- w- my wife and one of her old friends fell out really hard. And a lot of the reason was just like um, the way her old friend like truly hated poor people. And we were right. at like such a broke point in our lives and it came to this point where, like, through what this person posted all the time, we we're able to recognize like this person does not respect us as people, yeah. you know. Like, uh, and and you know, it's, it's it's something you know. Jesse Dangerously is of all my friends probably the most vocal about this kind of stuff. Um sure. but whereas his whole thing is, um his old thing has definitely always been more like women's rights. And my old thing has always been like the class war. Um, Sure. And, and, uh, but, um, you know, one of the things he's talked about in the past is like, whenever you make jokes about a certain thing or whatever, and you're belittling what your friends are that you have that fall in line with that. And people just don't think about that. And then, yeah. And you know, it's like you're treated like you're, your like because you're not okay with being treated like a lesser person, uh, that that makes you weak somehow. Mm-hmm. But you know, it's always from people who don't have to deal with that kind of stuff on their own, with it being pointed at them. So, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I think <laughs> I think the internet's big benefit for me is it's definitely made it easier for me to educate myself on on different things. Yes, absolutely, it's made me more aware of like other people's perspectives. Um, and, and obviously like I wouldn't have a fan base without the internet necessarily. I've been able to, to accomplish a lot. And a lot of it is because I had the internet at my disposal and, and I was able to find people outside of the area where I lived who liked my music and stuff that wouldn't have been possible 20 years ago in the same way that it is today.
1: For sure. Yeah. No, um, that's like for me, like I've been DJing, you know, I've been a nightlife DJ for a little while now and doing burlesque shows and meeting tons of awesome performers and awesome people through that world. And like catcalling to me was not a thing I ever thought about just cause I'm a, I'm a straight white dude. And so like, you know, what do I know of catcalling? And then hearing them all complain about all of this stuff and the terrible things that these guys are doing and saying, and it's like, oh, now I've learned a thing and now I can help try and fight to make it better for these you know people and help them or at least be on their side and understand and not, you know, it's, it's easy to be ignorant when you're not experienced the thing and then you can learn a lot from the internet because there are so many voices that you can connect with so easily.
2: Yeah, I think, I don't know, I think it's also part of like getting older, you know. Yeah. Um, being callous is definitely like a privilege – younger people have in certain ways. It's sure. weird because you get callous in different ways as you get old. But, <laughs> but you know, um, I think the version of, of who I was when I was like 21, you know, was not who I thought I was. Um, yeah. It's like only until I'm like, I'm now like 35 years old and it's like, I'm finally attaining something closer to who i thought i was to begin with
1: yeah (laughs) sure oh and i should set the record straight that i i did the internet thing where i quoted you know you know the thing you say oh i'm a straight white male what do i know is i'm i'm a white male straight not necessarily (laughs) yeah yeah. but i but i married a woman and i present as straight you know like someone who who looks at my life will go oh well he's married to a woman so clearly he likes chicks, and that's half true. And so, but it's a thing of it's. it's I think it's important to make that distinction because it, it's that thing where even though I'm not completely straight, I present that way so someone would think that maybe I'm not sympathetic where I am. And it's you know, you learn. I've learned so much on how to talk and what to say and what to understand to be kind to people's feelings because you know everybody deserves to be heard and and to have their 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 rights and you know the the internet's taught me a lot about that too and educated me on those things that i didn't necessarily know you know for 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 whatever it is and i think that's probably i agree with you my favorite thing about it is even though it can be a cesspool of terrible which you know i mean that's the internet um it can also very well educate you on a lot of things that you didn't know about that you can be proactive about and support and that kind of thing too
2: yeah i think it's one thing with just in general with the internet the blessing and curse of it is it used to be um you had to be really talented at doing a thing like writing or singing or whatever and then somebody who had money had to step forward and like raise <laughs> you up to be able to yeah. shout down to everybody
1: yeah um
2: and what the internet has done is it's taken away that ability to raise you up um for anybody but the most sought after artists like Beyonce. But if you're like, (laughs) if you're, you know, me or, or even somebody who's more successful than me, but still independent and kind of smaller like Chesky, it's like what the internet has done is nobody gets raised up anymore. At this point, everybody's put in the same room and they're all shouting at the same time. And you're, and it's kind of like a thing where every idea is, is expressed equally loud in the world of the internet so you just end up in this room where everybody's shouting and you're desperately trying to like figure out what any noise is because there's just so much noise
1: yeah exactly
2: <laughs> and it's the blessing and curse for art cuz it's like you know with you can segment off into your type of noise like you know we have the nerdcore scene and the indie rap scene and there's the folk punk scene and the emo scene like you have these scenes that will like unify behind you, but you never, it's not exactly the same. And, and that, you know, like the industry has changed. You can't like going gold now is a big deal in a way that it wasn't 20 years ago. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that like you can't promote the same way because people's attention is divided through their niches now so much more hardcore than it used to be. Like subgenres and micro scenes and stuff. That's like, that is the future of music. And it is not a way people will be able to sustain themselves without, as just an artist and stuff. But it's not necessarily negative. It's just how it is. It's like, that's the progression of art
1: yeah totally well on that super um enlightening and um energetic note as we take it to a kind of dark place but you know i expect nothing less from michael kill
2: um
1: uh before we wrap up i do want to uh just give the listeners some information on you and where they can find you so where can they find you on the internet um to check out your music and your ramblings and all that stuff Uh, the
2: newest thing the, the the newest way i've set up for you to get straight to the new album. Um, and be able to pre-order it and hear the first single, and stream it by the time this comes out. Actually, um, I set up a website. How could you do this to me? Um, <laughs> if you go to that, it goes straight to my Bandcamp. And if you go to my Bandcamp, there is a link to my actual website on there. And my website mm-hmm. has a link to all of my social media profiles. So you can get to my website, which is on. It's a Tumblr page. You can subscribe to me there and. That's where I post all my blogs about music and about shows and stuff. But the direct link, how could you do this to .me, will take you to uh, to the actual music, and you can hear the Snuggle is Real you, or uh, Human Disaster or any of my other projects. Actually, I've set it up now finally on my Bandcamp, um, where you can you can see all the stuff I've done for other people that's on Bandcamp, like all from one place.
1: Oh nice. So awesome.
2: there's links to Two Weeks Notice there. There's links to the Thought Criminal stuff. There's links to get this Student that I did with Adam moroc. Like all that stuff is all there, so
1: Great. Well, I urge listeners, if you enjoyed this conversation, check out uh Michael Kill stuff. Um Michael, I appreciate you taking the time to chat. Um I uh, I've said it before and I'll say it a thousand times. I love The community of musicians that you're in because I've made such great friends over the internet with you guys over the years and we interact online and it's always a pleasure when you get to come here live so hopefully I can make it when you're here later this month but uh, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you too, man. Alright, you have a great night.
0: Take care, Kil. You too. Bye. Peace. If you enjoyed these interviews, please subscribe to this and the Crash Chords podcast on iTunes where you can also rate us and review us. You can also like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.